Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode of the Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast is brought to you by Charles Tirrett, pros in effortless menswear, whether you need a casual weekend look or sharp tailoring. For the month of June, we're offering our listeners 20% off with code WISDOMPOD. That's W-I-S-D-E-N-P-O-D. Use online or simply quote and store. Right then, that was Baz Ball. England came into this series against the World Test Champions with one win in 17 with their captain, head coach and managing director all recently gone. They were 69-4 chasing nearly 300 lords and they won. They needed 160 runs in the final session at Trent Bridge and they won. And they were 55-6 in response to 330-0 at Headingley and Johnny Bairstow and a garden debut put on 200. And the most amazing thing with that is, no one was even really that shocked. <laughs> Phil, try and make sense of what we've just witnessed. Well, there is some kind of method in the madness because the results speak for themselves, but there's something over and above results taking place and that's the most intriguing thing for me that this is uh some kind of philosophy that's that's evolving here before our eyes and it's extraordinary how quickly it's happened how little pushback there's been uh, and how utterly unhingingly thrilling it's been to to watch and there is no <laughs> There, there is no equivocation with it. This is what's so amazing about it. Last night, we're, we're speaking, by the way, from Headingley, an hour or so after the game has finished, and it has that slightly kind of melancholy feel that you get with an empty cricket ground as as, as the show rolls on. Uh, but we're we're still trying to, to decompress from this week, I suppose. Um, and the thing... There's a number of sort of motifs from the, from this week and indeed the last three weeks. But last night in the dressing room, Ben Stokes, England captain, which even in itself sounds still sounds novel, 
uh, but we best get used to it and get used to it quick. Ben Stokes, England captain, said to his players last night because they needed 296 to win with about 40 overs left in the day. He said to them, that's about sevens. Let's go and get it. Let's go and get it tonight. This is on a wearing pitch with a bit of cloud around uh, with two of the great new ball bowlers of the 21st century. Desperate, playing desperate cricket to try and salvage something from the wreckage of a peculiar tour for them. And Stokes said to his boys, sevens, seven, seven and a bit, we can do that. Get it done, lads. Let's get it done tonight. And people looked around, apparently, slightly bemused and bewildered and smiling. And then looked back at their captain and realised he was deadly serious. And they had to gently talk him off the ledge of that idea. Uh, because... There has to be a, some kind of balance, right? Some kind of tiny amount of pragmatism um, injected into this 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 wondrous idea, uh, but it's but it's a it's a tiny little droplet. It's no more than that. And when McCullum was asked in the press conference this evening, um, he said he said that he wants to know where the line is, um, but he doesn't want to find out yet. He wants to go too far. He wants to push so far and go too far, take it well beyond the the, the bounds of, of reasonable balanced behaviour, because only then, once they've failed, will they know where the line is. Uh, as it stands, it's just endless possibilities. It obviously has echoes of the Owen Morgan era, that, that notion of, of running to the fire, because you need to know how far you can go before you get too burnt. It has that e element to it, that air of it. Uh, and look, it's just wondrously funny. Um, and another example, I know you're desperate to get in here, but another little example is that we've kind of been encouraged to talk about Joss Butler coming into the side as a test match opener. And it's it's being talked about among grown-ups. Kumar Sangakara, the great Kumar Sangakara, saying it on British TV. Yeah, get Joss in, get him, get him into open. And naturally, because we are conditioned, the punters out on social media and watching in the bleachers and so on, you know, that they, they spit their cornflakes out of that notion because it, it flies in the face of all rational thought. But we're going to have to get used to this, folks. We really are. And we're also, we're going to have to allow ourselves a little poetry, okay? A little lyricism in this, otherwise very prose-heavy game of ours. Uh, because that is what they're trying to do. That this is the the narrative that they're trying to weave, and we're going to have to get on with it. Uh, there is a marvelously altruistic, open-hearted feel to it as well, which I like. That it's it's not reduced to simple win-lose draw. What result have we got? How many points have we got in the Test match championship? There is something higher at play here. The fight for the soul of Test cricket, and I'm going on, but the fight for the soul of Test cricket uh, is is a dance that we've all we've all taken for years, decades, even centuries. Um, well, now we have these two punks right at the tip of conservative old cricket in this particular country, who are saying the game can be more than you could have ever dreamt of it, and if we can't get a little bit juiced up about that, that we should seriously find something else to get excited about.
Thank you for listening to the Wizarding Cricket Week podcast. Ah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, I agree with loads of that, or with everything you said. And uh, there's so much stuff that happens when you think back over this series. Uh, and it, by the end, stuff that would have been absolutely incredible, uh, like, you know, like, because obviously the Stoke, the Bearstoke Overton partnership was still ridiculous. You could still recognize that at the time. But then you have, like, today, with, like, that Bearstoke winnings, like, cricketing logic and reason dictates, you know, that when you're chasing only 300, and, you know, it, it always gets a bit touchy towards the end. So when you still need more than 100 and, you know, the, one of the set batters gets out early on the final day, that it's going to be, you know, a bit push and pull. The other team, you know, two more quick wickets and they're right back in this. And then when about half an hour, it was done. <laughs> it was absolutely ridiculous how Bears they played then. And yet it was ridiculous, but also I was shocked if he played any other way. I mean, he came in with Root, like, I think in the 60s, nearing his 100 and like nearly overtook him by the end of it. And even that was like yeah fine that's that's how this works now it's uh what was your favorite moment of this test match because you, you and you and me have have sat through the whole thing live we've seen every ball um what what's what's your favorite takeaway moment from this game uh i think it would have been stokes's third ball in the fir- in the first innings was it his third ball when the he six. came down yeah and when england so it comes in with england 21 for 4 which is the worst position they were in when they got bowled out for 68 here in 2019. Uh, and remember then Stokes played a, a rubbish shot then and uh, was, you know, lambasted for it. Uh, you know, it was strung up and then we saw it happen in the second innings there. This time, you know, by all cricketing logic again, plays a worse shot. And yet the thing is, is that the assault that had already happened and people, you know, people like to say that momentum isn't, you know, it's a thing. It's, you know, it's not a thing. I mean, that people who talk about cricket say but actually it doesn't really it's hard to define doesn't really mean anything but the momentum had changed then even though England were 55 for 6 somehow like a bolt was at 3 for 30 odd rather than 3 for 8 uh, and like and that that in the way paved the way for what came next even though England were 21 for 4 Stokes came out and hit 18 off 13 and then got out uh, and yet that yeah that 6 basically summed up everything I think that was my favourite moment yours? That's a really good one to pick. It's one of the greatest shots ever played, but not the greatest shot of the match. Right, yeah. Which is which is not my favourite moment, but it's the most ludicrous moment. Uh, it was obviously Joe Root's reverse scoop sweep thing, whatever you want to call it, over over short third man for six when he was 50-15 not out and the game was on a knife edge. That, that Joe Root moment was just, was just, you know, a kind of commonplace freakery, I suppose. Um, that... If I were to pick one particular moment from the top of my head, yeah, if I could pick one moment, uh, and Bairstow's innings was a moment, right? That was a kind of epoch moment in his career. And incidentally, for me, his first great masterpiece of a test match innings. Uh, I thought it was a more complete, a deeper innings than than his Trent Bridge uh, mini miracle. But if I could pick one particular moment that encapsulates what's happened in the last few weeks, it was probably Daryl Mitchell against Jack Leach. And Ben Stokes, firstly, I think is an extraordinary on-field captain. I'm no, I'm no expert on, on captaincy, but you get enough of a feel when you're watching a game live for how much uh, alertness and, and how active a, a cricketer's mind is when they're in charge. Uh, and he is... He is gifted at that side of things. There is logic to 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 any funkiness. There is method behind 
the decisions that it's clearly mapped out. Uh, it helps when you have a bowling side, bowling attack that you can trust. We can get to Matthew Potts in a minute. Uh, but everything he did, even when it looked unusual, felt sensible at the time. He got a bit of luck in as much as a, a bowling change would pay off for him. You know, they took a couple of wickets early on um, in spells. They took two wickets at the start of resumptions, for example, on day two or three. Uh, so we got a little bit of luck, but there was logic behind everything he did. And this is my example. Daryl Mitchell pumps Jack Leach for six. He's 100 and a bit not out. He's obviously batted brilliantly through the series, to say the least. Stokes keeps himself just up enough to tempt him to go for another one. But crucially, Jack Leach, who can be metronomic, and that's not necessarily a compliment. He can be uh, an automaton left-arm spinner when he doesn't feel backed and he doesn't feel confident in himself. And you've, you've sensed throughout his career as an England player that he's been trying to search for that elusive amount of belief that you need. So, so desperately, if you're going to survive at this sort of level. Uh, he tossed it up. He dared to toss it up. Mitchell, having pumped him down the ground, slightly miscues that shot. And Stokes takes a brilliant catch. Brilliant running catch. He stays on his feet somehow. He's obviously a great athlete. He took it at kind of wide-ish, deep-ish, mid-off. Can't remember if it, if it was his fifth wicket or if it, if it was his fourth, but it, it... And then Stokes hurled the ball into the floor, having taken it. And his joy, the captain's joy, in his boy's success was so palpable uh, and infectious. And it clearly just bleeds throughout the, the, the setup, throughout the team. It's easy to have a smile on your face when you're winning games of cricket, but there's something, there's something more extravagant at play here, I think. Um, and Jack Leach, who is, you know, a slightly sort of un, uninspiring cricketer in certain ways, in that he does a slightly unfashionable job and he does it competently. And his kind of utilitarian qualities are his best qualities. So we've seen up to now. But it's amazing what you can do when you can liberate somebody and when you can find the right words at the right time, it can change a person's life. <laughs> They really can. And that's what's happening to this this cricket. What we saw today, in the last few days is a bowler who is living a little. And that little moment, that little time, tiny moment in a game of crazy, crazy moments, that will stay with me, I think. Yeah. And because, yeah, you're right to point out the on-field captaincy and also how that bleeds into backing someone. It's all to, it's to say, you know, off the field, say we back you 100%. But if then on the field, you've got your your deep point out and you're, you're long on out on the boundary and that sort of thing, then that feels different. So that is two things. But it is just remarkable how much Stokes has got belief in so many players who previously looked like they were lacking in Stokes and McCullum. So um, when you look at like Ollie Pope, say, he didn't really look like he knew what he wanted to be as a test batter up until this series. And then, you know, he cannily sees there's a spot open at number three, text Stokes saying there's a spot there. But then it's Stokes, McCullum of now given him that belief that he can do it and he kind of he looks like he knows how he's going about each innings when he does it which is different to before even if you know the technique is sort of similar there might be a tweak here or there and he's a similar player it just looks like that shift has kind of happened he played really really well in that fourth innings which in a way I felt was almost a more um more confirming that he had the the, the stuff for number three than the innings in the second test because that that in the second test it was a, a very flat pitch um, you know, it, it, we know that Pope can score those sort of runs of flat pitches. This was a trickier challenge with how Bolton bowled in that first innings and with 
you know, England losing a couple early on and he broke the back of that chase as much as Root did. Um, so that's another big positive, I think. I, I'm not sure. I'm not saying I, I'm not yet completely sold that Pope is going to, you know, average 45 at number three from here on out. I feel there could be a little bit more up and down to go. But mm. this was the clearest one yet. I think that he can crack that position. Yeah. He, yeah. He, he played very nicely. Um, there are one or two technical kinks still but I think they can they can be ironed out Alistair Cook was very good on him actually in his column for the Times over the weekend where he spoke about this Pope's slightly slightly mixed stance he hasn't yet eradicated this tendency to be slightly open in the feet which is fine but closed in the shoulder which is less fine uh you, you need to be kind of one or the other in effect and at the moment he's a wee bit we bit twisted in his in his technique and you saw that in the first innings where he got a very good ball from Trent Bolt but uh you know, a number three needs needs to accept that those kinds of balls are going to be coming down every every few overs against good good sides. So there's one or two things that he can still address, I think. But uh, but he looked very good last night. I thought against, admittedly, a wilting team. New Zealand looked tired and bedraggled. I thought by the end of the day. But but he's an obvious plus. The, the he came into this series alongside Zach Crawley, needing a score. Now Zach Crawley hasn't got one. He he played nicely for forty odd at Lords, and that's that's been that. His dismissal in the second innings here. For 25, six fours, of course, uh, was agony. You know, he, he chipped one, mis, misread the length, ch- chipped one limply to, to Kane Williamson in the covers or extra cover. However, when Brendan McCullum was asked about him on the TV later this evening, or late this afternoon, just gone, he was pretty unequivocal about it. He likes Zach Crawley. He likes the kind of cricket as Zach Crawley is. And crucially, and wildly again but we're gonna to have to get used to it he said he's not going to be a consistent player he, literally he's never going to be a consistent he's never player. going to be a consistent opening batsman what that means is what's he's what he's saying is he's still going to win me a game i still believe anyway he still believes that he's going to win him a game and if he's going to win him a game one in five then he's going to pick him he's going to pick him uh it's going to enrage the shires i can already hear it I can already hear it, but we're going to have to get used to it. Well, it sort of will. And, you know, if you were being uh, churlish, which sometimes I am, you might argue that Zach Crawley is quite a consistent player right now. Uh, it, so, it sort of will anger, pe- or anger people and frustrate people. And th- th- it's still taking its... It, there's still people can't quite believe that this thing is happening and working. But slowly people are kind of having to just, like, just put faith in the, the gospel of Baz, basically. That, like... um. The, the the results kind of speak themselves and how it's playing out speaks for itself that you know if 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 McCullum says Crawley can be a test match opener increasingly that will be good enough for a lot of people I think I think that because of how it's gone so far because of the the calls have come off uh, and I think also people will probably recognise that if anyone could get Crawley to be the player that a lot of people believe Crawley can be it will be Stokes and McCullum right now basically. Mm. Um, so, mm. well, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm sure that won't be the last time there's some we, okay. we talk about Zach Crawley. But. No, but we don't need to talk about Zach Crawley specifically, but the Zach Crawley story and what it says about English cricket. Uh, in the press conference that just took place with McCullum, first time he's spoken to the press all since he got the job, since the series began, rather, he said, uh, in answer to a question from Chris Stocks, I think it was, he said, if... Uh, if I'm batting number five for a county team and I'm looking to try and get into the England team, 
and I see what England's number five is doing, then my eyes would be pretty wide open to what to a, to a certain way of playing. And he said, in short, I'd be I'd be looking to try and emulate the way that he plays if I'm back number five for a side in the county championship. So the same can apply to opening batsmen, right? The same can apply to number sevens. The same can apply to any player in any position now in this new age. And it will be intriguing to see how uh, England's selection process evolves over the next two years, say, and whether uh, a conventional stoic opener in the kind of Ben Compton mould, say, whether those players who you can imagine will churn out significant heavy-duty runs and average 45 to 50 opening the batting in England versus a stroke maker, a match winner, who is almost famously inconsistent, it will be very interesting to see how, how this team leans. But McCullum has already given a pretty clear indication of the kind of cricket he's looking for. If, if, if people are saying Dominic Sibley has a really good record, Rory Burns has a really good record, crunch the data as Crickviz have and Ben Jones was talking about this on, on our show a few weeks ago if you look at the data then those two have a very strong case um, I imagine they're probably feeling slightly demoralised by these comments this evening yeah I guess so it, it will really be interesting to see how the sort of the subtleties of the McCullum approach work like that because I think you know obviously Alex Lees was the incumbent if you were to look it, like that kind of player describing that Sibley Burns type player uh, that that is Lees would have been in that mould you just said ahead of this series and there's there's a few different ways to look at positivity I think you can say it's going out and trying to hit every ball for six but either Stokes McCullum said before this series that can't expect everyone to go out and play the way that Stokes or McCullum would uh, and you saw with Lees okay didn't have a great test here but you saw at the um in the second test when he played really well everyone that they were really keen to credit him for playing so well there was there was a bit more positive in there but you know he wasn't you know coming down and trying to like smash Tim Southey over his head third ball but it's sort of uh making players believe in their own way of doing things to have their own backing and belief in that they can make the right decisions that that's a different sort of positivity but I do fancy that they're, they're, they're just too smart I think to think that like the best player is the most attacking player and that that all our batters have to play one way. I don't think that's the case. Obviously, they will lean towards a preferring that and they will back players. And it's if nothing else, it's just a sensible uh, coaching move to say that you back Zach Crawley to the extent that they have, even if you are thinking that, you know, he's got a couple couple more innings, it's the right thing to say. And, and then, you, you know, you have to have the tough conversation and then you handle that when you get to it. Uh, and you're right. And it's a good word that there will be subtleties within this this new new way that and, and it's an important point and us like in the media we've got to be careful of reducing it to these kinds of irritating terms you know i mean you kick the show off with basball almost threw the table up in in uproar straight away so we have to be slightly careful i think of falling into media speak about this and you're right brendan mccullum's made a 11 hour triple hundred right so you know he's not He's not a kind of extremist. He's not a one-trick pony who only understands one one way. This is a this is a storied international cricketer who's gone round the block a thousand times. Right? He's looked at what he's got, and he's made uh, a brave, courageous, and slightly wild decision, but one 
that is rooted in some kind of rationale. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Not to pour cold water or anything, but is there a danger of getting too carried away with how good England are, how much they've improved, how quickly they've improved? Like in, in some ways, these have been the perfect conditions for, I'll say it one more time, for Basball. Uh, you know, you've you got, you got flat pitches, you've got a team who are maybe quite uh, susceptible to being cowed, I suppose, by a period of attacking batting. Uh, there are still technical questions over one or two players. The games have still been close. First innings leads within sort of 40 runs each time. Uh, like, how, how good are England now, do you think? Um, ben Stokes played an interesting innings, I thought, on the final afternoon of Trent Bridge that I think might signpost how he will go about it. And it will all flow from him. I think in the fullness of, of time once this series settles down, I'd like to focus a bit more on Ben Stokes on the final day at Trent Bridge than Ben Stokes on day two here when, you know, he skewed one to mid-off and everybody lost their shit. Uh, ben Stokes is a versatile and adaptable cricketer. Ben Stokes was two not out here off 60 balls at the close three years ago against Australia and then hit eight sixes the following day. Ben Stokes is nobody's fool. Um... This is not going to be just one way, uh, this is a freight train with no brakes. It's not going to be that, I don't think. Uh, the mistakes will come and the story will have to develop, as you say, some subtleties for sure. Uh, I think your point, as you made to me this morning, walking in or maybe yesterday morning, about the true test will come on iffy tracks, I think is a very good one and a very solid one because we've been discussing the great and the good and then us wherever we stand in that equation i've been discussing technique english batting technique for for a long time uh and you can limit how important that is on flat tracks uh but you can't when the going gets really tough and the ball's jagging all over the place and that 55 to 6 was not a consequence of the new way it was a consequence of some technical deficiencies in england's top order uh, that ball went sideways for an hour and Crawley, Pope, Lees didn't know what to do about it. It wasn't because they were trying to do anything funky. It was because technically it wasn't quite working for them. Lees got a jaffer, by the way. Yeah. Blame, Lees was blamed. They, they all got good balls. They all got good balls. But Alistair Cook did a did a whole piece on Ollie, Ollie Pope's. Um, Alex Lees... You know, as I say, got a good ball, but he's at the start of his career and he's still finding his way, as, as we've seen. Um, Johnny Besto as well, who's been obviously <laughs> extraordinary for a month. But uh, you can't play like that if the ball is jagging all over the place. Or in theory, you can't play like that if the ball's jagging all over the place. You certainly can't play like that all the time. Uh, the question will be how cute they can be, how mature, I suppose, and they beat during these clutch moments. Yeah, because we, we haven't mentioned that spell from Trent Bolt. And it, it was an absolutely brilliant spell. They were all brilliant balls. 
the, the thing is, is that there are lots of brilliant bowlers around at the moment. The next test they play, they'll have yeah. Bumrah to face, have Rabada in the series after that, they'll have Shaheen in the series after that. Um, I would say on Bairstow, I kind of think at the moment, he probably, he kind of can play that way basically all the time. He, he is, <laughs> I, I, it's genuinely a, a struggling thing of a player who has been in as good form as he is in right now. Like, sure, but, but, but he also played three pretty injudicious shots in the first half of the series. Yeah, that's true. Um, and... And needed a score mm-hmm. uh, in that fourth fourth innings, yeah, and, and he got one <laughs> to say the least. Uh, but yeah, the the issues around England's technical limitations, top order technical limitations, those questions will come around when pitches are a bit spicier. But it's been interesting that all three all three games, Lords did a bit, but otherwise these have been unusually flat tracks for English English cricket. Um, Trent Bridge and here. Uh, the pitches, I imagine, will be similar in the second half of the summer, uh, because just as you, the the flatter the pitch in one day cricket, the better England's one day chances are. Now, the way that they are playing, you would think that the same would apply. It's extraordinary because it was yeah ve- because it's, very it's been very recently turn. it was the exact opposite. It's been England. an about turn. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, yeah, and and I suppose I I can't find myself either talking to myself into thinking they're a good and talk myself into thinking that. They might struggle and that's fine. Uh, but the flip side is, is that actually for a test team like England's uh, to become actually very competitive, it often doesn't take much more than a couple of pieces here and there. Like te- test team can actually, they can carry one or two misfiring players. It's when it, that's three or four that that's when a team really struggles to put up scores. But Root being as brilliant as he is, if he has Bairstow especially around him who is playing that well, and then also a couple other guys who are in decent form, like Pope, Pope's clearly in good form. Uh, Stokes is going to, you know, come off probably probably more, more more than he fails at the moment. And and folks is also is looking more like he belongs as a Test cricketer. Like the, a batting lineup that has two very very strong players in form and a few others who can contribute here and there. It's much more than what England have had before. We're, we're not at all saying England are the best side in the world. Um, uh, on this test itself, I spoke to Mark Butcher about the key performers from an England point of view. Butch, last week, Johnny Bairstow hit one of England's great test hundreds. This week, he played innings that was arguably even better. And coming into this year, he'd gone, what, three years without passing 60 in test cricket. It's been an incredible transformation. What's happened? Yeah, it's extraordinary, isn't it? I suppose you go back to the the innings at, uh, at Sydney, where, funnily enough, he looked unbelievably scratchy until he broke his thumb. Mm. <laughs> and then... Um, you know, the, obviously the, the pain of that and the, and the urgency with which he then felt he had to play sort of unshackled him and he played in, a, in, a, in much more of a free fashion, taking down Nathan Lyon, etc., if, if I remember rightly. Um, and then he then goes and makes a, a superb century in the West Indies on that trip. So, um, you know, the, the form continued. He, I, think he, I don't think he played particularly well in that last test match. He, was, he would have been disappointed as, as the rest of the batting lineup was. When England went down in Grenada, I mean, rather got talked out a little bit by uh, by the wicketkeeper, um, and then and then you come into this series here, and, and there was a lot of talk about a lot of the, the players who've ended up in this team for England, Johnny Bairstow being one of them. Um, you know about perhaps whether or not at five Harry Brook might have fancied, you know, been a better bet in that position, um, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now Johnny's come out and played as you rightly say, that the most extraordinary innings at, uh, at Trent Bridge to win in the game, very much in sort of one-day beast mode. Um, the innings here at Headingley was, was, was better. I mean, you know, 55 for six, 
Um, England absolutely in trouble. Trent Bolt making the ball talk. Uh, what's changed? Well, defensively, he's a, he's a damn sight better, surer. Um, and whether that's a change of mindset, I think he's I think he's probably just opened up his stumps a little bit more. I think, you know, he, he was another one who got a bit preoccupied with standing in front of off stump. That doesn't seem to be the case anymore. So defensively, he was superb. The mindset was always, you know, you know be as attacking as you possibly can, throw some punches back at the bowlers. Um, and it was a, it was a, a, an innings of, of rare quality. It was so, so good um, that now any, any thought that he might be one of the people whose head is on the block uh, is completely gone. He's, he's also loving the, the idea of being one of the senior players in the team. I think he's being treated with, with a lot more um, respect. He's been given a lot more responsibility. Um, he knows that that he's backed one hundred percent, and anybody who knows anything about Johnny knows that he's a he's a, he's a sensitive soul for all all manner of reasons, um, and just wants to kind of be accepted and loved. Even even after the t- after the innings on um, uh, on the Friday, he uh, you know the first thing he said to us when he came down to talk to us down on, on pitch side was, "Oh, you know, I'm not everyone's cup of tea." And we're like, Johnny, everybody loves you. Yeah. you you're all right. You'll do for us. You know, you, it, it, he kind of has this uh, this idea that. You know that he, he sort of he's, he's he's too different, or that people don't take to him. I, they do. Yeah, and I think you saw with the reaction to that hundred here. I mean, if this is home ground, the England fans especially really really love him. Like he is he is a proper fan favourite. Um, and the the, uh, the only issue is that he's he's running out of people and things to prove wrong, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. But you know, I mean, that's that's quite a good thing. Um, you know, to be to be able to go out there and 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 take on Test match batting in its own terms. You know. It doesn't have to be the case that he's uh, he's trying to prove people wrong or prove that he that he deserves his place in the side. I've I've thought forever, you know, that when the battle was raging over whether he should keep wicket, whether it should be Joss, whether Ben, you know, whether Johnny should have stayed at seven and been about. I've always believed that Johnny Besto is one of the three best batters in the country. Um, and England have gone through a long period of time whereby the top um, five or six has been so unproductive that it always seemed mad to me that somebody as good as Johnny was batting slow at seven. Um, you know, and, and they seem to have come to, it, you know, it, that still might end up happening, I suppose. It, it, you saw a sort of glimpse of what might what might happen if, um, you know, if England did want to get Harry Brook into the side. But if I were Johnny now, I'd be like, you ain't moving me from five now. You're not moving me from here now. This is my gig. Um, and um, and I think England will be, will be much the better served for that. Yeah, I suppose the issue you have for the next test is that they will hope folks will be fit. Obviously, he's tested positive for COVID during this game. But if he's not, they'll either face a question of saying to Buesto, you're not going to keep, we're going to bring someone else in to keep when we know how good a keeper he is. Or saying, we're going to move from five where you've done so well. And either of those things kind of has a, uh, it's, it's just, it, it removes that kind of, that, that sort of bubble of serenity that's around him a little bit, I guess. So hopefully folks is fit and we don't have to, it doesn't have to become an issue. Yeah, hopefully. Um you know the the fact that he had to he had to leave the ground. I mean, he had to leave the ground to get away from everybody else. He didn't infect anybody else. But um, you know, I, I had COVID before the the Lords Test match, and I'm probably not quite as fit as Ben, folks. I know you find that hard to believe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it took me what well, it was nine nine or ten days before I got a, a, a negative test. So uh, that might be the case. Obviously, Sam Billings has come up to to take over. Johnny could have stayed at, at wicket keeper, and well, I suppose they had to replace Ben Folks with a, with a like for like, didn't they? So um, it will be very interesting to see what happens. But I, for one, I really hope that he doesn't get the gloves back, and I really hope that he stays at number five. Because you know, he, I think one of the things that, that that will have come to him over the last, um, particularly over the last couple of weeks, is hang on, batting at number five. I'm batting with proper players here. 
I've got chance. I've got the chance to make double hundreds. I've got the chance to average fifty in Test match cricket. Um, and I think he's good enough to do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, another player who's had a remarkable revival, really, or return, I suppose, is Jack Leach. He hadn't played a home test for two years before this series, and obviously has that awful start where he gets concussion. Uh, there was a bit of criticism about whether he could be incisive as well as controlling, whether he was bowling too defensively, and then he takes 10 wickets in the game. Uh, it's, it's, it seems like Ben Stokes really trusts him. That was the main thing I took away from the first innings before anything else. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he'd, he'd always been used as the... Uh, uh, excuse the the black adderism, but the last turkey in the shot by by Joe Root, you know, it was almost like we've run out of other options. Or oh, go on, you might as well have a go. Um, and so, you know, coming on in the thirteenth over, getting a wicket with his very first ball. I mean, I, I've been watching Jack Leach very closely for for the last two years or so, I suppose, and have been sort of constantly in touch with, or just having conversations with Jeetan Patel about. You know, he's asking me how do you think he's going. I'm saying, well, you know. He's lacking a little bit here. He needs he needs to develop a little bit more overspin. He needs to be able to get the ball to drift more. He needs to be able to deceive batsmen in the air on pitches that aren't ragging square. Um, and and up until this game, I just didn't think he was going to be capable of doing it. I know he's been working on it. I know that he and Jeet and Patel have been working very very hard uh, on his ball release and getting a bit more energy on the ball, um, regardless of whether the ball is ragging or not. Um, and then it all fell into place. You know, so you've got a combination of, of, of being, again, being being valued, um, being given that confidence that, um, that that Ben Stokes rates you and, and thinks that you're you're the best and wants you in the game. Um, and then you have the, the, the beautiful, um, you know, coincidence of that arriving when the changes and the improvements that he's trying to make have finally clicked and come together. Um, and, and in that, you know, you, you end up taking a 10 for him and he bowled really bloody well. In the, the first innings, perhaps there was, a, there was an element of fortune in it, and that was uh, that was as much on on Ben Stokes and his sort of tactical now, his willingness to kind of not throw everyone back on the boundary, um, you know, tease and tempt batters into into making mistakes. Which again, first innings, that's the way you're going to get people out. Second innings, that's when the spinner himself has to do, has to do the to do the work. Um, and the thing that will probably have, will probably please him the most is he ended up picking up left-handers as well. I thought he bowled really well against the lefties, which I, which I don't think has words that have never come out of my lips before. Yeah, I think <laughs> one thing we discussed before with Leach is that you can talk about what sort of bowler he is and if he is too defensive, but I think it, that does miss that he has been through a lot, which has kind of almost forced him to change and force him out of form. Like if you think back to 2019 mm-hmm. in that summer, he bowled really well in that series against Australia as well. Yeah. And I don't think he bowled, even when he was obviously on turning pitches, are slightly different. But in pitches that weren't offering him extreme assistance, he hadn't bowled that well as he did in that series since then. There are lots of reasons for that. Mm-hmm. And this was the closest to that I can remember, I think. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I think you're right. And, you know, he, there, there were rough patches there for him to aim at. He hit them regularly. I mean, you know, in the, in the winter in the West Indies, he very rarely did. You know, that's another another slight technical tweak whereby, you know, I've been on commentary talking about just how high his bowling arm was, which kind of got reverse drift. You know, the ball was the ball was moving through the air in the same direction that the ball was eventually going to turn, meaning that you'd, you'd struggle to hit the rough um, uh, and, and you'd struggle to create the angles that get good players out. That, again, wasn't the case. Second innings, he, he, he bowled so well to the left-handers. There was lovely breeze blowing across the ground, so he was able to get the ball to drift out hit the rough, turn back in, some some went on straight. You know, it was it was really good stuff. Um, the other bowler to impress significantly, I think, was Matt Potts, who's England's 
leading wicket-taker of the series. And I think even though he has got a lot of praise, I think it's still gone slightly under the radar just how impressive that achievement is. Like, he's 23. He's playing his first series. He's, he's already bowled absolutely loads this summer. He's against the world champions. England had barely won a test for, you know, a year. And he just looked absolutely, completely at home. Yeah, um, he seems to be indefatigable, which, um, you know, Steve Harmison told me that that was one of his great attributes was that he's as good last ball of the day as he is first. Um, he, he hits the bat really hard. I know the speed gun doesn't sort of get up above 85 miles an hour very often. But he whacks the top of the stickers, you know, from a, from a good length. So batters are getting caught half and half and not sure whether to go forward and back. He also has the ability to move it both ways. He bowled brilliantly against the left hand. His record against left handers is twice, is, is, is twice as bad as it is against the righties. Um, however, in, in this test match, he's picked up on you know some of the advice probably that he's getting from Brody about round the wicket. He's been able to kind of get the ball to leave the, the left handers from around the wicket to them. Um, again, really impressive. And the, and the other thing that you can't help but notice is he's very, very comfortable setting his own fields telling the captain what he wants and it's something that you love to see in bowlers for, for two reasons one obviously you've got the confidence he feels like he belongs in the team already after three test matches and secondly it means he knows what he's doing he knows where he's going to bowl the ball if he's moving extra men from you know from offside to leg side or leg side to offside or putting another slip in he then backs it up with the delivery that says you know i wanted him there because this is what i was going to do next you know and that's um that, that's uh, Really impressive for a young guy. Yeah, and at one point on that third evening, he was bowling without a fine leg in, which I can't think I've seen very many fast bowlers do. And it, show, it shows, firstly, the confidence that Stokes has in him to say you can do that, the accuracy that he has. And also, as a captain, that just gives you, it's, it's like, it's an extra fielder, which is absolutely massive. You can, you know, you're not having to sacrifice something else if you know he's not going to get hit off his pads, basically. Yeah, try, try doing that when England bat. They'll just be scooping it down there, yeah. won't they? Um, but yeah, I mean, it, yeah, he's been... He's been really impressive. And, you know, again, didn't seem to break a sweat doing it either. Um, you know, I sort of remember, that, again, was talking on commentary about just how just how uncomfortable he makes batters out there. And kind of the very next ball, he whacks his ball into a length. And Blundell, who's on 60 or 70 at the time, sort of defends it, fends it off. It hits the inside of the stickers. He then rings his bottom hand as though, you know, the, the thing has hit the, hit the top of the bat so hard that it's jarred. Um, you know, between his thumb and forefinger, uh, and yeah, it's really great. Another another guy who's just got, who's got energy and menace on the ball. It always feels as though something's going to happen, even when in those periods of time where the pitch has got flat. Yeah, um, let's go back to the key session of the test, which was that second evening. England ninety for six at T. Uh, sort of, you know, you think this is the, the time that Baz ball sort of comes unstuck in a way. Uh, we've always talked about Baz, though he played brilliantly, but Joe jo Overton was was almost just as just as good in that session, wasn't he? And for a guy to do that. In that situation, with Trent Bolt bowling as well as he was, uh, it says a lot about him and a lot about the fact that England have created that environment that allows a guy on debut to do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've not seen Jamie Overton bat in long-form cricket. I've seen him slog it out of the ground in, in T20 games. And so, you know, that you kind of imagine that that's, that's what he is. You know, he's going to come out and, and have a proper swing. But, you know, in the end, I we ended up doing sort of an analysis pieces showing how much better he played the, the the swinging ball from Trent Bolt than poor old Zach Crawley did, you know. So in, again, in defence, he looked very very solid. And then when it, when the boulder started to roll down the hill and uh, pick up and gather momentum, he then started to bash it out the park as well. And you kind of you almost felt sorry for New Zealand at the time because the crowd were up. England just kept hitting it for four and six, and it just kind of felt like there was nothing that was going to stop that momentum. Um, a truly remarkable partnership was it two hundred, wasn't it, for the seventh wicket? Yeah. 
just extraordinary. I mean, we've seen seen over the course of, of the last 10 days or so, two of the best days Test Match Cricket I think I can ever remember watching. You know, why? <laughs> and they've both happened in the same series um, to a team or, or by or has been done by a team who hadn't won a Test Match in 17 before this is unbelievable yeah we should just talk quickly about Overton's bowling I guess mm. because that's what he's in the team for mostly he was a he, he reached 90 miles an hour he wasn't consistently up there but he did get there um he was mostly asked to bowl and bowling quite short which is interesting and it's how we intend to use their quicker bowlers yes is, is it the right thing to do do you think I, I think I think and and this is not certainly not a criticism because Ben has got most things right as a captain tactically he's been very very sharp but I do think that sometimes you can over-egg that, particularly you get, you know, the partnership with, with Blundell and Mitchell. Um, you know, I think it's a great idea. You do it for a couple of overs and then you settle back in and to, to you know, Overton had the ability in the first innings to swing the ball in and out. And I think even during that second innings there, when England were going predominantly short, when he did pitch it up, the ball moved. You know, he was able to get the ball to, to sort of um, challenge the stumps with a bit of in, inward movement. So, you know, I, the thing with doing that is that it hurts the body. Um, we've seen what it's done to Mark Wood. It's kind of broken Joffre Archer. You know, the, the, there are there are lots of broken Ben Stokes. It broke him in in the winter as well in in Australia. It it takes a lot out of bowlers to be asked to do that all the time. Um, and so you know if you I think it's a legitimate tactic. Genuine genuinely, there are times when it's absolutely necessary. But I do think that you can overdo it. Yeah, and can I just ask about that? With, you say it takes more out of the body. I think for people who haven't played a lot of cricket and you haven't bowled fast, which is most people can't can't get up to that speed, why does it affect the body more? Because, you know, you're bowling the same speed. It's not as if bounces are quicker than others. You're just, you're just letting it go a bit later, you're, aren't you? You are letting it go later, but, you're, but you, really, you really do. I mean, if you, you challenge you to watch or maybe go outside and listen, and the, the 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 force with which the the left foot hits the ground when you're trying to slam it into the into the deck is is just harder, you know. You're trying you because you're jackknifing the body in half and you're really trying to whack the ball into the surface. And of course, if you do if you're bowling good bouncers, they're not that short, you know. So you're really trying to generate en- energy from a from a length that it isn't by your toes, you know. And that's and that's why it hurt. Bowling bowling Yorkers, bowling bouncers are the, are the two things that stress the body the most. Um, right. Well, well, cheers, cheers, Butch, and uh, <laughs> no and uh, yeah, speak to you at uh, Edgebaston, I guess. That you will. Right. And that, we're now joined by New Zealand Herald's Andrew Alderson to get the Kiwi perspective on what the actual be like back home. Uh, perhaps the, the bittersweet McCullum success uh, and all that. Um, obviously, in England, everyone's getting very excited about that. We you know we can win a cricket match again and that sort of thing. But I think. This has been a, a, a bad series from New Zealand perspective. Uh, Matt Carter has asked if we're actually underplaying how bad New Zealand have been. But do you think how disappointed will they be? What will the reaction be like back home? Look, I I think New Zealand have been in a contest. I, I've got to be honest. I, I really feel like uh, you get know, a couple of games going to the fifth day. It was pretty level at Lords um, across those first two innings, and then just we've just seen that brilliant batting from from England in the in the fourth innings. And New Zealand probably not uh, maximising their firepower, if you like, to be able to. Uh, get those 20 wickets. Um, I mean, chases of, you can see it of chases, 277, 299, 296 uh, have been uh, extraordinary watches. I mean, I've, I've, I mean, as a neutral fan, they're just amazing just seeing what Bearstow and Root and Stokes and the like have been able to achieve. And I think it's just part of, I think Brendan McCullum probably noted it uh, in his chat to the media, just saying that it's, it's a case of you know, unlocking what's there. 
really and, and just just taking it from from that point of view but uh yeah i think new zealand they're an aging team though they're probably uh, another year on from the world championship victory and there's not a lot of uh, younger players coming through you've sort of got this bell curve of people who are i guess from 29 to 32 and then a few just outside that i think jameson the youngest 27 wagner oldest at 36 so it's a group that's worked a lot together but yeah it's just about probably the development thing from here on in that's interesting because I think I reckon if it were England right now, there would be calls for wholesale change, everyone to be sacked. I mean, because if you look at after the World Championship final, they what, lost in India. Okay, that happens, but then lose a test at home to Bangladesh, don't beat South Africa, and you've got a good chance to beat them. But is it is it kind of seen that this is just a team in slight transition with Ross Taylor going out, Kate Williamson understandably out form with the elbow thing? Are people going to be pretty sort of sanguine about it? BJ Watling as well, yeah, another key component uh, in that side uh, over a number of years. Uh, you've got to have the players to replace them, and they've got uh, some fine players. Red Bull Craig, I mean, it'll be probably close watch on the Plunkett Shield, the, the four-day competition in New Zealand in the next uh, 12 months to 24 months as well, just keep bringing those players through. Uh, but uh, I still feel like those are the best players that New Zealand has to offer for the most part. I mean, if you look at that series, I, I think, again, McCullum noted it in here I am talking about McCullum and noting good points, which is uh, ominous in itself from a New Zealand perspective. But uh, just saying that the, just the top four were one of the, one of the key weaknesses, and that's true. I think just they didn't get enough runs relative to what uh, England were able to achieve. I think and, I was and also, looking at also relative to their their talents yep. as well. And this does happen sometimes. We've got one of the literally one of the all time greats batting at three, didn't make a fifty, albeit only in two Test matches. Devin Conway at number four is a, is a mini genius as far as I'm concerned. I think he's an amazing cricketer and looked good in parts. Didn't get didn't get a score, you know, gave it away at Trent Bridge in a key moment for that, batting beautifully for 50-odd. Henry Nichols, fine test match player, couldn't get a run. Tom Tom Latham made one score all series. Now, these are, these are good cricketers, but sometimes cricket's weird, isn't it? And it just collectively drags a batting lineup into itself. And it felt like this was happening here. That's right. They just, and I think, Good bowling as well, again. I mean, look at uh, a player, you know, you speak about bringing new players in, Potts. I thought he was one of the standouts of yeah. the series. And, and I know that the, the kudos has gone to Bearstow and Root and even Leach today with the man of the match scenario. But Potts just consistently, uh, that's, that's a great example of someone developed on the county circuit and being brought into uh, this lineup. And, and, and the fact that he got Williamson three times, I think Williamson was caught behind the wicket four times, but Potts had him three of those. Uh, was an indication that he was he was up to the the task. So, do, do you think that when the dust settles, Kane Williamson will think I still want to carry on? This is my team. I've I've done great things with it. Uh, my elbow is manageable. I still want to be the captain of this team. Or do you think there might be a natural evolution in that question? Again, you've got to have someone to replace them. I know that. Tom Latham's been suggested, and he's an admirable captain when he fills in for Williamson. I still think Williamson's the best player to get captaining that team right. at the present time. I mean, he's he's captained a team to the inaugural World Championship 12 months ago uh, and has struggled with his fitness since then, yeah. uh, which might, that could be a, a telling point of his, that the fitness is not necessarily going to affect his captaincy. Uh, it's more just the longevity in the game full stop with this elbow problem if it's ongoing I mean he's got it under control at the moment and uh, yeah, whether or not that uh, ultimately affects his okay. status in the game. I've been working with Jeremy Coney and uh, Craig McMillan and 
they've they've observed that the conservatism that say is a part of the characteristic of this team it suddenly becomes very stark next to what the other lot are doing now the other lot are extreme and they're in some kind of kool-aid experiment you know but do you think that that style of cricket that attritional style of cricket that conservative with a small c style of cricket do you think that that may need to be shaken up as the game evolves and do you think yeah, therefore I think I, they've, they've got i would the right say they, they do need to make adjustments i'm not sure it's wholesale adjustments but i think that they would need to perhaps be more innovative i mean the case in point here and, and Stephen williamson effectively alluding to this at the end of the game today is you know playing michael bracewell instead of uh, ages patel i mean they haven't said it explicitly but you know specialist spinner out there in patel who instead of has said is still the number one spinner on uh, Williamson Fields likewise I think is yeah. just I, I mean I, it just seems to me that that's an opportunity missed that, that Patel and you know only bowled two overs in the series only bowled two overs since taking the third 10 for in, in test cricket history mm-hmm. in an innings uh, is is an opportunity missed and New Zealand don't want to get into that habit either of being a side that relies on just the four quicks at home right. in their own conditions you want to be able to do it around the world which they have done over the last I guess since 2013, McCullum turned the corner from. And you, I think you get this actually with almost, maybe it's time too much between Root and Williamson, but when you have batters that are so good, especially at playing spin as those two are, I think they can look at a spinner and they know how they would play them. And they think, well, you know, this, this guy can't really do much here. I know that I would be able to, to face this here. When actually, you say, Aegis Patel is, is, is a very good spinner. You know, we won you know, the, the test here last year, which won them the series. Um, so that that I guess that that would be a question about Williamson is is that handling of spin in particular as a captain? Yeah, that's a good point. And that uh, yeah, sometimes when players who are, are good at something see someone out, you know, even with pace as well, mm. they don't necessarily take on board just how effective and potent uh, that player is. So well, by that token, Williamson wouldn't pick any bowlers. Would he? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, he might pick pots. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think yeah, that's, that's an opportunity missed there. On this, uh, I mean, when you, and the trouble is, it's accentuated and exaggerated, if you like, uh, by the fact that Jack Leach has taken ten for one hundred and sixty-six and mm. been such a key component in the game. And um, just briefly, the three great quicks, none of them are young. You mentioned Kyle Jameson, who will probably end up being the attack leader, but are there any coming through? Should should we you be concerned that the the cupboard is a bit bare in the pace? I, I think that is a potential weakness. I mean, they'll develop players through the white ball, but uh, they do need to start getting some younger quicks uh, into the, and, and I guess looking at the Plunkett Shield a bit more closely in that regard to, to bring players through. Again, they have to be better than in, in Southern Bolt. You've had New Zealand's best new ball combination in its history. Yeah. Um, and obviously Hadley aside with Hadley being Hadley. But, uh, and then you add Wagner to that mix. I mean, even Henry. I mean, Henry... His selection can be justified in that he was the the player of the series against South Africa, and he did really well and, here and, last and year. Has done well here, uh, so that's that's you know just didn't really fulfil the brief at, at Trent Bridge, but uh, you know has certainly performed here in the past. So it's just about finding. I would say they're still the best, uh, other than if you could have had say a Ferguson just for that lightning pace. But they're not considering Ferguson because he hasn't played Red Bull for over two years. But that's another issue, right? Yeah. As well, persuading quicks when they can potentially earn a very, very tidy living. At, at, Which I'm at, sure Ferguson is. Indeed, and, yeah. It's just indeed. about, I mean, it, it'll be a bit of a travesty though if Lockie Ferguson finishes his career 
I think eleven overs in Perth, and that's it. We we should we should finish by I think discussing Daryl Mitchell and Tom Lundell. I don't think we mentioned because you say that top four, top five, uh, out of form, but we know they're good. And actually, when you talk about replacing Ross Taylor, Mitchell kind of looks like maybe he could be that guy. When you talk about replacing uh, Watling. Blundell, I think only McCullum and Watling have more hundreds for New Zealand among uh, Test wicket keepers. Well, I think New, Zeal- New Zealand's been fairly lucky to have them both. But then that's guys fulfilling a brief, isn't it? And you know, going in there, I mean, Mitchell, just just as a bill, I've, I've sort of referred to it as the you know, the gladiator and the matador. I just love the way that Mitchell is just fearless, just just goes for it, is prepared to you know take a bowler off his length and, and really not let uh, anyone get on top of him. Blundell is a, is a different player. He's darting around the crease. He's, he's wristy. He, he works the ball well. And I just thought they made a great combination, as we saw with you know so many runs and partnership over the series. And uh, you're right, they, they, they fulfilled those briefs well. And that's where, again, it's just that top four just didn't go on enough to just take that shine even more off the ball, if you like, at the start. And we were relying on Mitchell and Blundell to, to do the job in so much depth. M- Mitchell's personal series will go down in legend. Statistically, it's extraordinary. It's 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 off the charts. Well, it's Bradman-esque, isn't it? I mean, yeah, only, it, only guy to score three hundred and three consecutive Tests to start a series. In, indeed, indeed, I think it's the highest three-match aggregate since Gooch in nineteen ninety in England, at least, and and, and the highest for an overseas player. Yeah, so it's just it's, and, and, it's a real scroll there, isn't it? <laughs> and, and he's been whitewashed. It's absolutely brutal. This game is, is terrible. That's why we love it, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's just, uh, yeah. It's, it's, Individuals in a team game, and you, and you see that there's no uh, greater example than Daryl Mitchell. Well, on, on behalf of English cricket, thanks for sticking two Kiwis at, at the top of our <laughs> cricket and turning it into the the, the only ticket in town. That's Thank right. you very much. That's right, my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Gulliver's is the leading tour operator in specialist sports travel, with 40 plus years' experience taking fans all over the world to bucket list events and once in a lifetime destinations. With the men's T20 World Cup taking place in Australia across October and November. Gulliver's Sports Travel is the official travel agent. Join them on a trip of a lifetime to experience T20 cricket of the highest calibre. Watch England take on Australia, New Zealand, Afghanistan and others in the shortest and most electrifying format of the international game. I think Brendan McCullough has something to say about that. Uh, Head to gullivistravel.co.uk to find out more. So this series is done, but India are already in the country. They had a bit of a silly warm-up game against Leicestershire, but really mostly against themselves. Um, I guess there are two questions for England. They've announced a squad which has Sam Billings in it. Um, what do they do if folks doesn't recover from COVID? And who does James Anderson come back for? Uh, Phil, which way do you see them going on those two? It n- needn't be a necessarily a like-for-like with the keeper because Bearsoe could potentially take the gloves. I think it, I think they will will go with with Billings though on that. I would imagine that they would they wouldn't want to upset uh, what's working very nicely indeed. In, in the Bearstow story. Um, as for who replaces, uh, who, who who makes way for James Anderson? Well, Matthew Potts has played three games in a row. Matthew Potts is the biggest find of this series. Mm. And he, he's bowled absolutely loads. Matt Roller put a stat up on Twitter. He's bowled a lot. Yeah, but 30% more than any other seamer in the country. Yeah, so um, he may well be the one to make way. It's, in, it's remarkably harsh, but if you speak to any county cricketer who treads, treads the boards and, and their seamers, they are knackered if they're, if they're constantly bowling. And this will be four test matches with all the emotional nervous energy as well that, that goes into it. Four test matches in five weeks for him, just at the start of his career. Uh, 
it, it's not based on ability. Clearly not. Clearly he's a superior bowler and a more likely bowler at test level, say, than Jamie Overton is at the moment. But considering what he's gone through, it's possible that, that he would make way and Anderson would, would re, retake the new ball. And obviously Overton has made runs, so he can offer something at number eight. Um, so that would be a possibility and maybe a probability. But then I guess, now I think about it, he will have a break after this. He's not going to be involved in the one-day side, so he'll have a break after that test match until the start of the South Africa series, which it doesn't kick off until early early August. So possibly if he does come up fine after this game, they will think we go with you, in which case it probably becomes Overton. Yeah, I guess because I think with Potts, it depends if it's either. There's two different reasons why he'd rest a player. One is injury prevention, which would be fair enough in the case of Matt Potts. The other would be because you think they are too tired to keep bowling as well as they have been, which I don't think is an issue with him. You look at how he... he well, he is, just comes at you exactly. all day long, doesn't he? Yeah. So, and, and this also, this India test, this is the test of the summer. You know, like this is this is the, the visit of, I mean, of, of you know, not Roshama's India, perhaps, as we'll talk about in a bit, but of, of India. This is to decide the series. This is the showpiece game and he will have that break. So if he's feeling a bit tired, he'll be able to summon that extra 10% because they have that break. So I think they will pick what they see as their best attack from the available seamers. In which case, Potts should play. Yeah. Play. But then the, I suppose the wrinkle is, is that, you know, you saw the benefit of having batting at number eight yep. with Jamie Overton's innings here. But then, but Cullum doesn't seem like the sort even to, to, to you know, to pick a, a bowler based on their batting, but, you know. No, he, he doesn't. But it is useful if someone can strum 90-odd on debut. And Stuart Broad was a different bowler in the second innings to that which he was in the first. I, th- I thought in the first innings he was fabulous, really fabulous. And he tired clearly in the second innings. Um, that said, uh, he's a big match player and that was evident throughout this game. Um, you know, he got the crowd going at various points. He's just having a baby, isn't he? It was his birthday this week and he's loving it. Um, as he, as Ben Stokes acknowledged in the press conference tonight, you know, he texted him at the start of this series and he said he's, he's effing buzzing for it. So, so my guess, all things considered, is it, it might be Overton to make way. But we shall see. It's 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 a good place to be, really, because Jimmy Anderson is fit, ready to go, and wants to play for another ten years. He was literally saying that in the hotel bar last night. So, yeah, we shall see. But I have a feeling about this game, by the way, that if the weather stays good, it's going to be a classic. I think sometimes one-off games like this, they have the potential to be memorable in and of themselves. You know, I know it's part of a series, but that's a bit spurious now. I think really, and it's not really about Test Championship points. It feels a bit like an exhibition game and uh, I can see it being a classic, an absolute humdinger. Mm. The the big news from the India camp is that Robert Sharma has tested positive for COVID-19 and faces a race against time to be fit for the Urchabasson test. He might recover in time. He will be able to leave Survive Station if he's fully recovered. But, you know, it's a a tricky old virus, this one, uh, that could could, could go either way. Uh, If he doesn't recover, India have KS Barrett in the squad as a backup opener. He hit 70 on the warm-up game. They've also called up Mike Agarwal as backup, who... uh, We'll know a lot about, and uh, they could promote Cheshwar Pajara or Hanuma Bahari if they needed to. And then on the que- captaincy question, that is quite a tricky one because there's no Kara Hall either who's injured. Um, really? so, so it might go back. Well, I mean, they kind of have three options. So Rishabh Pant captained in T20Is, but I think there are sort of doubts over his captaincy skill, I guess. Uh, Jasper Bumrah was vice captain for a series against Sri Lanka, I think, earlier this year. Um, 
So I think he'd probably be the most likely. Be the third one. But there's a there is also Verrett Coley who, who, who has a bit of experience in captaincy. It's not going to here be and the there. But yes, I, I sort of doubt that that would be the case. Uh, but that's the, the the big fear for you India. You imagine asking him. Yeah. <laughs> now, Virat, <laughs> sit yourself down, and let's go through this. No chance. Rishabh Pant captaining Virat Kohli would be a wonderful R- thing R- to Rishabh see. Rishabh Pant will, will get it, I would imagine. Do you think? I, th- I think they would go Bumrah. I think. Okay. Uh, and o- on that India series, we will be going daily. Yaz is going to be up in Edgebaston for plenty of it, and if he's not there, we'll be doing daily podcasts. So make sure you watch out for those on the podcast service of your choice and on YouTube, etc. Starts Friday. It does. It starts on Friday. The day after the end of the, the women's test. Yeah, we've got the uh, the 13 days of continuous test cricket. And uh, yeah, so England have begun that game down at Taunton against Africa. They've got four debutants: Emma Lamb, Alice Davis of Richards, uh, Lauren Bell and Dizzy Wong. They've uh, they've started they started well with the ball, but Marazan Cap is currently playing <laughs> literally one of the great innings. Uh, she's 150 out as we speak, which is out of 276 ridiculous. for yeah. eight. I, I, actually, speak. when we started recording it, she just got to 100, and so she's yeah. clearly teed off. And yeah. we've been talking for probably far too long. Still, uh, weather holds is going to be a good game. Oh, this, that, that actually could now be a, another proper classic. Um, but we we don't have uh, a huge amount of time to spend talking about that game. But Yaz is down at the test. But we will have a review, full review of it when it's done. And one big bit of news away from the test game is that Owen Morgan, it seems, is set to step down as England captain. I don't think you need any caveats. Yeah, okay. I so, think we're fine. Oh, uh, we, we were discussing earlier that it'd be great if he, you know, like Anderson's done in the past, like Cook has done, if he, if he just comes out and does a, I'm not going anywhere. You <laughs> yeah. know, uh, but I, it seems unlikely. I Jordan mean, Belfort style. It's tricky to know, for me, what to actually say at this point in time. I mean, we, we absolutely know what Owen Morgan's legacy is. I think we know who's going to take over, Joss Butler with a few people saying that it should be Moen Ali uh you know and we know he's going to come in for him it's Liam Limbs and we kind of know that's the right time I think I don't I mean yeah it's, we, we, it's an odd one because on the one hand it feels seismic on the other hand it feels absolutely necessary and it's been long mooted as well uh what it what it all I can add to it really is that it's it's a final classy move from an ever classy cricketer uh, timing is everything. Um, he was the, absolutely the right place in the right time for when he came into the England side. I mean, he changed the way that England batted in one-day cricket. There was undoubted streaks of genius in him when he was in his 20s. I'll never forget that 100 he made against Australia in 80 balls at the Rose Bowl, as it was called then, uh, which I was at for, and it's one of the great innings I've ever seen. Uh, he changed the game on the pitch, changed the game off the pitch and now as his powers have weakened uh he's absolutely taken the right call at the right time fair play to him really fair play to him um Moeen Ali I spoke to earlier today uh he has played under Morgan and been profoundly influenced by by the Morgan era uh and he was brilliant on him it's interesting that we're chatting today with the news that Owen Morgan is He's relinquishing the captaincy. He, he retires a legend of English cricket. His legacy is is endless. Yeah. Uh, that comment in 2019 echoes through through the last few years. That comment about Adil. Yeah. And that open mindedness and open heartedness was quietly quite revolutionary. I think in the English game. Yeah. You played under him. You were obviously a part of his great great white ball team and that was a conscious thing wasn't it yeah it was a conscious 
expression of the team's philosophy. Yeah, and you, it's it's almost come to a stage where anybody is accepted, no matter what. Yeah, everybody is accepted. Yeah, whether you are um, somebody of faith, if you're homosexual, whatever it is, mm. you are accepted in this team in this environment. Mm. And Morgan uh, Owen Morgan has really been the pioneer of that. He yeah. actually has pushed it. He doesn't care what you look like, where you're from, what you've done. In terms of like, he doesn't ever hold it against anybody. He doesn't. There's no. He doesn't. There's no difference between people. Yeah. And uh, you know, the, Owen Morgan as captain on the field is an amazing captain, like tactically all that kind of stuff. But off the field, he's the best I've ever seen or I've ever been with. Because the way he has to manage the team, the environment, and then on top of that, be so outwardly spoken about mm. the good things in life mm. and mm-hmm. how things should be mm-hmm. and his rights and all that kind of stuff. He's amazing and truly will be missed, not just on the field as a captain, yeah. off the field more than anything. Yeah. Because he's a, he's a great person and um, whatever he decides to do next, he'll be amazing at it. Yeah, no doubt. Talking, going back to that, the idea of this, this philosophy that again permeates now into the new broom, the new test match setup as well, took a lot of guts because if there is one characteristic of modern discourse, modern life, it is that we are more polarised than ever, it feels yeah. at times. And so to put yourself right in the guts of that yeah. argument, that took a lot of courage, right? yeah. a lot For of moral sure. courage. Yeah, 100%. And to then fight for that too he had a lot on his plate when he took over as captain he had a lot on his plate the, the coaches the ECB I think were struggling with certain things the coaches were struggling the director of cricket was going all that, there was so much going on and he was firm direct he knew what he wanted he had a vision and I mean that's really important because he, he knew what he wanted he knew what type of players he wanted in the team what characters he wanted in the side mm. he's very loyal mm. and then to have all that going on and then like you say almost get right in the thick of things and mm. really get his hands dirty almost to yeah. really do that change and have that change and now you look at it like like we mentioned earlier it's normal now like it's so mm. people are so welcome mm. um, they come inside they feel like they've been in the team for years and years and that environment he's created and not just that the the cricket side of things he was the first one really to come out Obviously, we wanted to play the more aggressive brand of cricket, like Stokesy, actually. Uh, well, thanks very much for listening. Uh, I've been Ben Gardner. Thanks, Phil, for joining. I remain Phil Walker. Yeah, and uh, thanks to those who, <laughs> who have already departed. Mm. Um, uh, and if you did enjoy listening, please give us a nice, maybe a five-star review on the app of your choice. Cheers. <laughs>